O God, for who our redemption gave your only begotten Son to die upon the cross and by his glorious resurrection delivered us from the devil and the power of death. Grant us grace to die daily to sin that we may live with him in the joy of his resurrection who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. He is risen Amen. My name is Ginny. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel, and it is so very good to be worshiping with you this morning. If you are uh, here for the first time, or if you're a visitor, if you're a member of someone's family who goes here, we just want to say welcome, and thank you for coming to worship this morning. Welcome to church. So glad to have you. Uh, we are going to be in the Gospel of Matthew this morning for the resurrection account. So if you have Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 28, or you can read on the screen. Stop catching my breath. This is what Matthew says. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised, just as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has been raised from the dead. And indeed, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came to him and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Welcome, friends, to the feast. Welcome to the Easter season. I'm so glad to be here with you to start this season together. Uh, today is the beginning of a season, not just one day, but a full season of feasting. In the same way that we fasted for a full season of Lent, we are now going to feast for a full season of Easter. Anybody grow up in a tradition where Easter was one very nice day, where you wore pastels and you ate deviled eggs, and then you went to school the next day, and everything went back to normal? Is that most people in here? Yeah, so that's most of us. That's the tradition. But for us, for Anglicans, and for so many traditions around the world, Easter is an entire season. And it's sort of, I think, a hilarious uh, season in that it's like 10 more days than Lent. Because Easter's like, yeah, Lent was fine, but Easter's better. And so we're going to do it for even longer. And the reason for that is because we're meant to see how the Easter season sort of like swallows up Lent whole in the same way that life swallows up death whole. That is what we celebrate this season. That's what we invite into our hearts in this season. Easter is the feast of feasts, the great 50 days as the church calls it. Lent began on Ash Wednesday, and many of us gathered in this room together on that day, many, many of us, and uh, came here to remember that one day we are going to die. 
Um, And then two days ago, we gathered again, many of us in this room on Good Friday to remember that Jesus died. And then today, we gather again in this room to remember, ah, but Jesus rose from the dead. And so too will I. I will also rise. Christ has the victory. And so today we say an obnoxious amount of times, Alleluia. Amen. So how do we take up a practice of feasting in this season? What does it actually mean for us? How do we be Easter people? What does that look like? It means we eat and we drink with a heart of feasting, a posture of feasting. Um, It means that we don't feast like gluttons. We don't like make up for all the drinks we didn't drink during Lent, right, friends? Um, We eat with a heart of eternity inside of us. N.T. Wright, the Anglican bishop, tells us that today we should drink champagne for breakfast. Anybody do that? I didn't. I have to work today. Um, So I did not drink, but I plan to later. Um, But that idea that like what we do when we celebrate is we drink champagne, right? We drink something bubbly and celebrate that something good has happened. That's the heart behind that, is that we wake up in the morning and we are so excited about the empty tomb that we just have to go drink a bottle of champagne, not a bottle, a glass (laughs) of champagne. We eat and we drink in this season like people with eternity in our hearts. Because what we're doing in these 50 days is we are foreshadowing that we will feast for all of eternity with one another. Easter feasting is not about more. It's about better, if that makes sense. So we do all of these things. We feast, we celebrate, we say alleluia, unreservedly because of the reality that Christ is risen. And so on this day and in this season, we talk about resurrection. Resurrection is the fundamental truth and the ultimate event of the Christian faith. And we take a whole season just to try and wrap our minds around it and invite our bodies and our spirits into that as well. Today is the feast of all feasts, feasts, the day of all days, because Jesus conquered death. Here's the thing about resurrection that I find so amazing. It makes good on all the promises of God. For the next 50 days on Sundays, when we come to worship together, we're going to be in a series we're calling Yes and Amen. Now, we will still be in the lectionary. We will still be reading the gospel texts together that were chosen for us hundreds of years ago. But we're going to, have a, we're going to call it a series because that's fun. It's 2023. We can be Anglicans and have a series. So we're going to call it uh, Yes and Amen. And this is in reference to one of my most favorite scriptures in the whole Bible, which comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, when Paul says, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For in him every one of God's promises is a yes. For this reason, it is through him that we say the amen to the glory of God. So we'll be calling this series, this time that we're in, uh, in Easter together, Yes and Amen, because we'll be thinking this season about how Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises of God, about how Jesus' resurrection is essential because his resurrection makes good on all of his promises, all of his commandments, all of his eth- ethics and miracles and character, everything we love about the gospels, about the life of, and teaching of Jesus, the resurrection makes all of those things matter, gives them all meaning. 
A non-risen Christ can be your role model, can be your hero, but he cannot be your savior. And so the resurrection gives meaning to everything Jesus did. Rowan Williams says in his book, Tokens of Trust, Jesus then is seen as embodying, making visible the purpose of God and the action of God. He brings to light peace and praise as our destiny, reconciliation with God and each other. And he makes these things not just physically visible, but possible. He is supremely the one who makes God credible, trustworthy. In his second letter to the church at Corinth, St. Paul says that in, in all God's promises find their yes in Jesus. He establishes that God's promise is to be trusted. My favorite phrase in all of the resurrection accounts is this. He has been raised just as he said. We come here today because Jesus did what he said he would do. He's a man of his word, even through death. We celebrate Jesus today because he is everything he claimed to be. That's what the resurrection tells us. So our account this morning comes from the gospel of Matthew. And uh, it's sort of one of like the, the plainer, if you can even say that, accounts of the resurrection. There's more details in some of the other gospels. And yet there's like a lot on offer to us in the gospel of Matthew and his account. Matthew, the person, the writer experienced Jesus as the person who gave meaning to all of the things he had ever learned about what it meant to be human. All the stories he learned in, the, in, in his life, all the Old Testament stories that he had memorized, which is what they would do back then, all those stories that were like memorized and sewn into his heart, he met the person of Jesus and all of a sudden all of those things made sense. What he knew of God makes, made the most sense that had ever made in his life. All throughout the gospel, he refers to Old Testament scriptures and reveals how Jesus is their fulfillment. Fifteen specific mentions in his gospel to Old Testament prophecies fulfilled in the life of Jesus. Many more less specific uh, moments in his gospel. Jesus gives eternal meaning to all those words that were spoken, to all the stories, all the promises. His blood, as the writer of Hebrews tells us, speaks a better word. Everything Jesus touched is on fire with redemption and meaning. One of those that uh, is so incredible to me to read about in Matthew's gospel is a specific pr prophecy that happens just a chapter before where we read today when Jesus has already been arrested and arraigned. Judas, the man who betrayed Jesus, goes into the temple and uh, takes this money that he was given to betray Jesus. He walks into the temple and he realizes what he's done and he repents before the priests there. And they don't have anything to offer him, can't do anything for him. They don't care about Jesus really. And so he throws this money on the floor of the temple and runs out. And now these priests are left with this very strange dilemma. Uh, they have this money, this blood money, now here on the temple floor. And they have to decide what they're going to do with it. It's defiled money, though. They can't just put it in the temple treasury. So they have to figure out something else to do. So what they do is they fulfill an Old Testament prophecy. They take this blood money and they buy a field, the potter's field, and they use it to bury dead foreigners. 
even Jesus' blood money is doing what he in his life and his death and his resurrection is always doing for us, which is inviting in people on the outside and people on the margins and giving them a place to rest, giving them peace. Even Jesus' blood money redeems all things. Even a traitor's money has meaning in the story of Jesus. And that's what I just have been feeling God saying to me over the past week and several weeks and thinking about this day, like, God, what do you want to say about the resurrection? So many things have been said about this wonderful event. What does God want to say today? And for me, the thing I kept hearing over and over again was that the resurrection gives meaning to everything. The resurrection gives meaning not only to the promises of God, but absolutely everything in life. The resurrection changed everything. The cosmos now is on fire with the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection even comes to us in the darkest circumstances in our lives and offers us meaning. Death, I would argue, is the most meaningless thing. The ancient understanding of death for the people of God was essentially meaninglessness. If you read the Old Testament ever, especially the Psalms, you'll kind of hear this, this idea over and over again. This idea that where the dead dwell is a place of meaninglessness. The psalmist says this, For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, which is the place where the dead dwell, in Sheol, who can give you praise? Basically saying, like, don't let me die because there's nothing there. There's, there's no meaning, no praise, no life, no God even. And we all know that from when we experience someone who dies, our first sort of inclination is to say, why God? Because we don't, we don't understand the meaning of it. And yet, all of that changes with Jesus' death and resurrection. First Peter tells us the maybe most insane, wonderful thing in the whole Bible. He tells us, Jesus was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison, a.k.a. what he is telling us is that Jesus, when he died, went to Sheol, went to that place where the dead dwell and preached the gospel to them, these people who had died and gave them the good news so that they can enter into the story too. And he gave meaning to this place that forever had had no meaning, was utterly meaninglessness. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That place where we go now after we die is, to, is in the presence of Jesus. Puritan John Preston said one of my most favorite things uh, I've ever heard. Uh, on his deathbed, he was asked, do you fear death? And he said, no, I shall change my place, but I shall not change my company. That is what Jesus did for us. Jesus's resurrection gives even death meaning. Even the most meaningless thing now has meaning because of who Jesus is. Now, I find this detail um, in Matthew's resurrection account, interesting that the women who come to the tomb don't come with anything. Do you guys know the other resurrection stories? The women come to the tomb on Sunday morning, and what do they bring with them? Anybody know? Spices, perfumes, ointments, things like that. Things so that they can do to the body what was right to do, these ritual things, but also ways of honoring uh, someone that you love that you've lost. They brought all these things that other gospel writers tell us, but not Matthew. He tells us that they brought nothing. And that is like unnerving to me because 
I don't want to go into a hard thing with like nothing to do with my hands. Do you guys know what I mean? I'm the kind of, I'm like an activator. Like I'm the kind of person who if I'm going into a place of suffering or grief, I want something to do, you know, like let me cater the event or like, let me buy the cups, like whatever the thing is, like, let me, let me participate in some kind of way because not having something to do with like my mind and my body makes me feel meaningless. And so I find it really fascinating that the women in this story go to the tomb with absolutely nothing in hand. They go sort of head first into the meaninglessness. But what do they find? They find meaning. They find Jesus. And that is what happens for us. Jesus' resurrection does the unthinkable. It gives even death meaning. It gives Sheol a purpose. They don't have to do anything to bring meaning because Jesus' resurrection will do all the meaning making for them. Romans 6, 5 tells us, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. The resurrection lights up the world with meaning, even suffering, even death, because even in death we are united with Christ in such a way that we will amazingly also rise with him. As surely as we die, we will rise. If Jesus can give death meaning, he can and did give meaning to absolutely everything else too. All of our experiences, all of our joys, and maybe even especially all of our pain. Viktor Frankl was a Holocaust survivor and a psychiatrist and wrote an incredible memoir he called Man's Search for Meaning. And in the memoir, he described many horrifying scenes and realities of the concentration camps, including the loss of his own parents, his brother, and his pregnant wife. And in essence, what Viktor Frankl is saying in this book is that we cannot avoid suffering. As human beings, we will suffer. You likely have, certainly, have suffered in your life and will suffer more. I was just thinking uh, about this the other day and was like, dear Lord, what's ahead, you know? Things are okay right now. But we know that, like, suffering will come. And what Frankel says is that suffering will come, but we can find meaning in it. And that is how we survive. He says, those who have a why can bear almost any how. And as Christians, the resurrection is the thing that gives us our why in all of our circumstances. It's why the Apostle Paul, who experienced incredible persecution and tribulation, was ultimately martyred, who was ultimately martyred for his faith, could say with full conviction in his letter to the Philippians, whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Theologian William Platcher says this about the resurrection. He says, it offers hope for the world's victims and challenges the lordship of all the forces in the world that can kill us. To the powers and principalities that threaten us, even with death, we can reply that Jesus survived the worst they can do, and so can we. I have a friend who has been through sort of like the most unimaginable tragedy that's just ongoing and just like gnawing through, through the past couple of years. And when people ask him, you know, how are you making it? Like, how are you making it through this season? 
every time he responds because I know that Jesus died and was buried and that he vacated a rock tomb. And that makes all the difference. The resurrection is the why to all of our hows. But this doesn't mean that we are like fearless positivity zombies either, like blindly optimistic. One of the things I love about the Bible is how real it is, especially in the resurrection accounts and in this one as well. What does it say that the women did when they left? They left with fear and great joy, both things. I think this gives such a human element to it because how horrifying would it be to arrive at that tomb and see that Jesus was no longer there? There was also things in Matthew's account like earthquakes and angels and, you know, soldiers falling out, uh, also terrifying things. One of my favorite things is in the Gospel of Matthew when he talks about the women who go to the tomb and they leave. Matthew's like, or Mark's like, they, they left terrified and didn't tell anyone anything, which is hilarious because clearly they did. We're all sitting here today because they, they told the gospel, you know? Um, but this idea that you would go to see this event and you would walk away with these two things, fear and great joy, is just so real. If Jesus is anything, he's the one who can hold all of the complexities of what it means to be human within himself. Because Jesus is the one who, at the same time, asked that the cup would pass from him and the same one who said, not my will, but yours be done. We don't have to be anything more than that. And we ought not to strive to be anything less than that either. That's what Jesus invites us into. The resurrection can hold whoever you are, whatever you bring to this day, whatever complexities it is to be you. Jesus can hold all of that. Today is such a wonderful and big day because it can hold all of who you are. You can come in here and you can celebrate the resurrection and still wonder if it's real. Jesus can handle that. You can come in today and you can say all the alleluias with us and you can grieve and wish that there was someone next to you who you've lost who was saying it with you. Jesus can hold all of that. You can feast this whole season, even in your brokenness. Jesus can hold all of that and give it all meaning because of the resurrection. So just to close today, I want to reiterate this to you, brothers and sisters, that now that Christ is risen, the whole world is charged with resurrection. God is in the business of bringing his people back to life. Did you hear me? God is now in the business of bringing his people back to life. Wherever you are today, however hopeful and bright your outlook is, what's ahead of you, or however dark and tireless things are and seem to you, God is in the business of bringing you back to life, of giving you new life, of making something new out of you today. Jesus is desperate to give you both the meaning and the means. He has both within himself. Jesus himself told us that he came to this earth so that we would have life and have it abundantly. In the Easter season, these 50 days, 
is the time in which we let that reality sink down into us in a new way. We let it take hold of us. Because of the resurrection, Jesus can take all of our stuff and breathe life into it. Do you believe that this morning? When I think about all of this, I think of my, my favorite worship song, which I know is a big thing to say, but I think it's official. It is uh, my favorite song, a worship song. It's called New Wine. And Mike is actually going to sing it in a minute when we come up for communion, which is all of my dreams come true. <laughs> all of my Easter dreams came true already today and will again. Um, but this song is so beautiful and comes around for me in different seasons. And it's, it's this takes this idea of winemaking as a metaphor and talks about it of like how God brings newness out of, out of seasons that we go through. Um, she sings, in the crushing, in the pressing, you are making new wine. In the soil I now surrender, you are breaking new ground. Jesus, bring new wine out of me. And then she sings, because where there is new wine, there is new power. There is new freedom, and the kingdom is here. I lay down my old flames to carry your new fire today. And that is my prayer for all of us in this season. In Philippians, after Paul says that everything is garbage compared to knowing Jesus, he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. That is the thing that is able to make new life out of us that will make you into new wine in your life over and over again. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Anybody else? Can you say it with me? I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Let's say it one more time. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. That is our prayer, Lord. Jesus, help us to know you and the power of your resurrection, not just today and not just this season, but let it be the song of our life. Let it be the thing that emanates from us, Lord. Amen.